Hey JD Tribe, and welcome back to another episode of the Self Care Spotlight, episode number 50. Woohoo! Oh my gosh, that means that we have been doing this for over 50 weeks. Oh my gosh, I love you, I thank you. That's crazy. And if you listen all the time, it would be so cool, guys, for you to give us a five star rating or review us on iTunes or Google Play. It's super easy, and I promise it does not take even like five minutes unless you write us some crazy, long, amazing review. (laughs) This is, of course, brought to you by the Journal Deck and our self-care collective online membership. And did you know that we have the Radiance Retreat, our annual self-care women's retreat coming up this late summer from August 31st to September 3rd in the woods of Ohio Powell, Pennsylvania? Along with yoga, meditation, and of course journaling, we will study, explore, and discuss five different goddess archetypes from across the globe to connect with our inner feminine radiance and each other. You can find information at thejournaldeck.com forward slash retreat 2018. I'm your host and founder, Alyssa Cousins, and today we have close to Ohm author and yoga teacher of nearly 20 years, Andrea Markham. Close to Ohm is an inspiring guide for both beginners and seasoned practitioners. Markham intersperses wisdom from such revered ancient texts such as the Bhagavad Gita and Patanjali's Yoga Sutras with wisecracks, amusing anecdotes, and useful instructions plus illustrative photos. Tales from her life give this vibrant memoir cum manual a personal and accessible yogic touch. And that review comes to you via Publishers Weekly. Known for weaving accessible philosophy into the poses, Andrea loves leading the most unassuming newbies to yoga and mindfulness and works with everyone from athletes to executives. Andrea believes our yoga mats are magic carpets to look into our lives and to see the world. And her recipe for living your yoga Bringing it off the mat and into the rest of your life is now in book form and titled Close to Ohm. You seriously do not want to miss this practical guide written by such a genuine walk-the-talk kind of yogi. As a yoga teacher and student myself, I genuinely loved reading this intelligently designed book that truly gets to the heart of what living a quote-unquote yoga lifestyle and your truth is all about. You can find the link to get your book at thejournaldeck.com forward slash episode 50. And with that, welcome Andrea to the podcast. Hi, Alyssa. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to be talking today. Yes, I'm really excited about this. As I told you before we hit record, I have the book right here, your book that we're going to be talking about today today. You're close to Ohm, stretching yoga from your mat to your life. And I love having this physical book with me. So if you guys hear me flipping pages, just heads up. That's what I'm doing. I'm just I'm just going through this because I love it and I have so many notes and highlights and little, you know, tabs in this. It's a really beautiful book, Andrea. I I, I really dig Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. You're you're so welcome. I mean, you're you're obviously you're you're a pro at this game. You've been teaching yoga. You said what, seventeen years? Yeah, I was. I was. I did my teacher trainings before there was such a thing as the two hundred and five hundred hour. Uh, so it's been a while. It was kind of before the quote unquote trend happened. I 
honestly, I kind of wish that I could have, like, that I could have, like, looked back and I could, I could see what that was like at that, that, that precipice of when yoga was not quote-unquote yoga yet, as it is today. Like, do you know what I mean? I will yeah. never know what that was like. Um, it, it was a great time. And, I mean, there's still a lot of teachers around from that time, like my teachers, right. that really came, you know, a lot of them studied with Patabi Joyce and Iyengar, and now, you know, they're gone. So we're in this very interesting time where anybody we're studying with is going to be a step um, outside of that. Um, and so that's part, I think, of, of just the inevitable shifts and changes and evolutions of yoga um, and always respecting where we've come from, but understanding that there's like a little bit of just physical separation from, from that. And, and then, you know, um, science kinesiology, biomechanics has a hand in it. Um, just what's happening with our digital culture has a hand in it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting time. And I think a really important time to go, uh, and spend time with these people who have spent time with those who we don't have access to anymore. Um, cause I think it's one big giant celebration of all of all of it. I think it's a great time to be in the mix because you do have, um, this very rich, soup of um, mm. opportunity to learn across the board you know I love that it is a soup <laughs> it is. it's a soup for sure <laughs> and I totally get it because my I went and did a kundalini intensive um, with Sierra Hollister down mm-hmm. in um, Asheville North Carolina at the Asheville Yoga Center which is an amazing place and I traveled down there to do this kundalini women's intensive and Sierra practiced under Yogi Bhajan. Wow. And mm-hmm. so that's exactly what you're talking about. And to, I felt it was like so powerful to me to be even connected in some way to that lineage of this, this, this founder, you know, that brought the Kundalini Yoga practice to the United States in 1969 and mm-hmm. that I will never get that opportunity, you know, and, she did. And she'd be like, well, Yogi Bhajan told me this and Yogi Bhajan had me do that. And I'm like, that just blows my mind. And it's so cool because that practice of Kundalini, first of all, it was like life changing mm-hmm. as a lot of people feel that way about Kundalini. But um, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. It is important that we can connect to those teachers that have studied with, with those people that we will not be able to in this present-day yoga world. So with that being said, I'm super geeked that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think always going back to the well, you know, going back to the source. And that's true with reading philosophical texts, too. And I think that, like, a lot of what inspired me to write this book is that some of those texts feel very um, cerebral and academic or ancient and like hard to access mm-hmm. even though I think that they are really very very universal and so what I when I looked at the landscape um, there were two things that inspired me one is that I feel like there's a gaping hole between you know starting at your gym or starting practicing asana and then like the next opportunity in some ways is going to a teacher training that's 200 hours and like $3,500 and I had a lot of students coming to me saying where do I go for philosophy? What if I want to do a deeper dive? You know, I love this on my mat, but what's, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. And then there was also my personal experience of what yoga has helped me to untangle in my own life. 
certainly using asana, but even more so the dance of asana and philosophy and kind of making it accessible for myself as I kept going back to the well and then realizing like, okay, that's great and important, but it doesn't always feel totally 100% applicable for where I am today, you know, this time of life. So um, that's really what kind of sent me on the journey of writing a book was how do I speak to this gaping hole and how do I maybe offer something to those of us who love asana um, and are a little bit intimidated by um, what feels like a secret handshake in the world of <laughs> philosophy, you know, and, um, and it's daunting. You know, it's like a, a lot of philosophical uh, study. It can feel like, oh, my God, it's so much. I don't know where to start. I agree. Uh, so hopefully close to home is a place to start. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, you know, what inspired you. So, yeah, I, I feel that you hit the nail on the head with the book. Thank you. It does feel like part memoir and like part manual. And mm-hmm. like, a, you know, it's like a yoga book, but it's not just a yoga book. You know, it, it has your stories in it. And we'll definitely talk a bit about some of your stories too because I want to ask yeah. you. Um, but, you know, like you even call it like the book is, I think you refer to it as like a, a system almost. And I, I think mm-hmm. that the way you designed the book, this is maybe me nerding out a bit on like how it was designed. And I'm sure that you thought a lot about how you would lay out this book. But it's in, you know, the three the three sections of like Awaken, Transform, Unite. And it does feel like a system as you're reading through the book and it like progresses. And it you talk about there being this physical aspect, psychological aspect, and a philosophical aspect. Mm-hmm. which I love that. And when I read it, I like highlighted it and circled it. And I was like, yes, <laughs> like that is yoga. Like that is to me, like the essence of yoga is yoga is so, is so complex, but yet so simple. Mm-hmm. And it's this beautiful thing where people always, you know, especially now it's such a physical practice that people see it as when they see the asana, Mm-hmm. But it is so psychological and philosophical too. And so when I read that, I just absolutely loved uh, the design and how you laid out this book. Can you kind of, how did you come up with the idea for that? Sure. Well, um, you are correct. It was, you know, um, it took a long time to create a very succinct system. And then to figure out, you know, I mean, I think that the, the bodily, the body psychology and spirituality, if you will, is body, mind, spirit. It's another way of interpreting that. But mm-hmm. um, awaken, transform, and unite. Also, like we don't know till we know, um, and that could be true of like you stumble onto your mat in your first yoga class, and then you know um, something about you know. Usually, it is the tactile aspect of body that that um, that hits people. Um, you know, maybe you're nauseated in your first down dog like I was, or you just thought that it was a bunch of stretching and you realize, wow, there are layers to this. I can just feel it in my, in my body. So we awaken, and um, in my first class, and there's a story about this in the book, I talk about like realizing the teacher told me that I was biting my lip <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, I didn't realize I did that. And I, it made me see that I was biting into a lot of things in my life that weren't serving me. Um, so we awaken to things like our samskara, our habits, the ingrained behavior. Uh, and that's not always so pleasant. You know, we may not like what we see, but we need to awaken to it before we can even start the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we awaken to those things, we can start to transform them. So that's the second 
part of the sequence or the sequencing of the book. Um, but what are the tools for transformation? How do we shift these things that we're discovering? Um, and that's what, what the second part addresses. And then we unite with our true essence, our, um, our highest self, if you will. Uh, and that's really coming back to source. In a way, it brings us back to who we always were. Um, but we awaken to the things that have maybe separated us from that. We learn how to transform back to what really is um, our highest way of, of existing on the planet in, in this, this lifetime. So you literally, you're reading my mind <laughs> about all of my, like, my, my guide points of questions. You're, like, totally on it. Like, we're totally in sync right now. I love it. So, spirit. <laughs> so, okay, you were talking about just that, like the yoga metaphors, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you even say in the book, you know, you say it a, a million times, and I love it because it's so simple. How you do your yoga is how you do your life. Yeah. And that that sentence just alone is just gold, and I believe it. So. You know, that example of you biting your lip or you even, you know, talking about how in the book, you, okay, stand and notice, notice, like, notice, like, notice, like, are you, it's like you give all of these beautiful metaphors, which I really love because I think yoga just has so many easy, you know, metaphors for on your mat, off your life. And I see them so much and you really lay them out well in the book and you talk a lot about them. And guys, if you read it, you'll get what I mean because they're sprinkled throughout the entire book, these metaphors. So, and we'll have the link, guys, in the her show notes, by the way, so don't worry. Um, I have to I have to ask, you know, if you're thinking of this, like how you do your yoga is how you do your life, what do you think, kind of putting you on the spot here, what do you okay. think are the biggest lessons that yoga has taught you in life or a, about life, like your favorite yoga metaphors? Um, I mean, it's a huge question uh, and a great it one. It is. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, I think patience is a giant yoga lesson for me and ongoing. Um, patience, forgiveness, I mean, those things sound really fluffy when you say them out of context. There is nothing fluffy about them. Um, becoming patient with ourselves is such rigorous hard work. Um, becoming forgiving of ourselves. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking at it in the progression of um, every chapter, also, we should tell the listeners. Um, the, the, the overview of the book is Awaken, Transform, Unite, and every chapter starts with a story, a narrative. Mm-hmm. It goes to a section called On Your Mat, mm-hmm. which works the metaphor and the philosophical point into a, either a pose or a series of postures. Mm-hmm. So it's very tactile. It's very available in a somatic sense, in your bodily sense. And then it goes on to the third section, which is On Your Own, which is how you integrate it into your life. Mm-hmm. So that's the progression of every chapter, and um, it really is the feel for how um, I feel it in my own my own practices. That uh, you know, there's stories. That's the life that we're living. We come to our mat to kind of source it from um, a bodily sensibility, uh, and it can be like you said, you know, standing in Tadasana and noticing like where am I leaning that I didn't realize? Or you're a teacher. I mean, you see people in down dog, and it's kind of all you need to know. Um, all of us, if we're fidgeting in our down dog, if, if we're, we're like on to the next thing in our down dog, or we're ruminating about where we just came from, um, that's all telling. That's kind of how we're operating all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to become present 
um, is, is really the most obvious thing and the most challenging thing, but to fully inhabit each moment is in many ways the goal of yoga, to pay close attention, um, to which I, I pay a lot of homage in the book, uh, to come present and to pay close attention. And that's what it takes when we stand or we're in these simple poses of down dog. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be with ourselves and there has to be a whole lot less doing. And um, you were asking, you know, the big lessons for me. I'm very accomplishment driven. Mm-hmm. I'm very type A. Right. Uh, the patience and the forgiveness was allowing myself to be. And listen, it's ongoing. It's not like I've got it all figured out. <laughs> I do the things in this book all the time and continue to. And um, and I think that, that there's a, like a big universal forgiveness and knowing that we're all doing this work together. We're all getting our hands in the soil and getting a little bit dirty together. Uh, and that that's how the beauty is born is that it blossoms out of, it's the no mud, no Lotus over and over again. And we just have to keep coming back to the mud in order for the Lotus to have its opportunity to grow. Um, but you know, sometimes I think, especially now in this time when we have very glossy social media presentation, mm-hmm. people are under the impression that there isn't any mud <laughs> and there sure is. And it doesn't mean that it isn't lovely to see beautiful blossoms. Um, but I, I think it's, um, even more important than ever to remind each other that we've got each other. Uh, and this practice is about digging around in the dirt. Uh, and as I say in the book about not feeling buried, seeing ourselves as planted, and right. that's essential. That, that to me is like yoga um, in a nutshell in a lot of ways is that uh, we, we want to keep coming back to being planted and not being buried. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, I, the, you just touched on something, which is I literally just had another podcast conversation about her name is Steph Birch. I listened to that episode. Oh, did you? Okay. So, yes. Cool. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, And we talked about what you just said about the whole, the glossiness, as you said, Mm -hmm. of like social media and Instagram. I'm really curious. You've been doing this for a lot longer than, than than most of us have that are probably listening to this podcast. You've been at this yoga world. You've been in this. You know, like, what is your take on... On like the uh, the glorification of picture perfect and like glorifying um, bendiness and really advanced asana and things. I I would love if you would share your thoughts on it as being someone that's that that's really been around a lot longer in this world of yoga. Well, I think it's fascinating. Um... A little bit about my background is that, um, you know, I have been teaching 17 years, and nine of those years, I had my own studio here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a story that shows up in the book. Yeah. But um, I I was a, I did not mean to be an entrepreneur. We had a conversation before we were recording that you did not mean to be a podcast person. <laughs> um, and, you know, to me, both of those are examples of being bendy in the ways that are most important. We have both been bent in our lives in directions that we weren't sure we could do. Um, that's the mud, sister. You know what I mean? Like that's. Uh, and um, I learned so much having my own studio. 
Um, and it happened within three weeks. Like I, I needed to leave where I was teaching. I was up and running. I called it U Studio for the unity and community that built it. And it was as grassroots as it comes. I didn't even have signage. So we talk about social media and presentation. There was no sign out for my <laughs> studio. Um, and we were on the fifth floor of an Art Deco building here in Los Angeles. And it was extraordinary. I didn't understand fully how much community meant to me, how much it lights me up, how much um, that is the um, unite at the end of the book. Uh, that community is a giant part of that. Certainly we unite within mm -hmm. ourselves, but with each other is so essential. And then with the world at large, you know, the planet. Um, so, so uh, I come at it as a real like grassroots independent. And I needed to learn about social media because I didn't have a sign outside. And it became my signage in a lot of ways. And I think that there are ways to look at it as creative. And um, mm -hmm. I also have content, you know, um, on, I have online classes uh, that then are also sort of another one of those digital media uh, situations. And when I travel around the world, and that's ultimately what had me close my local studio was that I got called out to teach around the world, which is amazing. And I, I love it. And, and the way I perceived of it is that it blew the walls off my studio, that brick and mortar and that local community is amazing and important. Um, and occupies an enormous part of my heart. But really, community is anywhere we show up and enroll each other. Uh, and so being out in the world just was widening the reach of the community. And it was another reason why I was so compelled to write this book, because I was like, that's the next step. That's the next way to grow this community uh, and not have it limited to just this one city block in Los Angeles. Um, so coming at it in those terms... Um, you know, I go and teach like I was in Abu Dhabi last week and people know me because we've been practicing together, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though I haven't been there. So that's a great connector. And that's the power of some of what these digital formats can do. I do see that there is um, a slippery side to it with the, you know, the industry that it's become and sort of an Instagram star thing. But there are people who are really good at doing that. And that's their career. And they may or may, I mean, maybe they're yoga teachers, maybe they're just um, influencers or whatever we're addressing them as. I don't think they're evil. I think mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're gifted at that. Um, and it take, requires a lot of time and dedication, um, and it's a revenue stream for them. Um, and so maybe we're kind of tangled up in, like, what does it mean to be a yoga teacher? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we're defining it as we go, and that it... It, we have to be careful not to demonize either side of it. That mm -hmm. you know, there may be people who are really good at that particular element of it, and and maybe the classroom is a strength for them. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I think it's an individual question. Um, and then there are a lot of people that we talked about, like going back to the well, who who might not really um, have the chops for social media, but it doesn't mean that they're not worthwhile and that they shouldn't um, be on, you know hired for festivals. I mean, that, I guess that's kind of my, my concern is that we're moving into this um, time where people get hired for things based on, on what their social media profile looks like. And we don't want to skip going back to the well. I think we want to make sure that we're well-rounded as a community um, and who we're seeking out to learn from. Uh, and I think we can learn from each other. And we all have something to bring to the table.
Mm -hmm. So kind of long-winded in terms of what you were asking me, but I hope it gives you some sort of idea of like where I'm coming from. No, I get it. And it's so hard to have those conversations because it's never like I, you know, it's never like on this podcast I ever want to demonize anything or it's, it's, it's just such a, it is a hard topic. It is. Like you said, a slippery slope. It feels that way. And it's trying to navigate like what that balance is and what is a yogi and well actually that's an interesting question so like what is what is it what is a yogi to you um uh i mean historically it's fascinating to look at what a yogi has been uh i i think i would look at it as our current times and i believe that my book is revealing to us that we're all yogis Mm -hmm. really that, that we all want to adopt a spirit of paying close attention, adopt a spirit of beginner's mind, um, where we're not under the impression that we know everything or that there is this terse and tightly wound idea of what's right or wrong, whether that's about yoga asana or about how it is that we choose to live our lives. Um, and there's all kinds of, um, you know, there, there's... There's people who feel very attached to wearing a label of um, whether it's a religious dogma or a dietary way of life or, you know, a certain style of yoga. And I think we want to loosen our grip on that. Um, and, and, you know, people coming to yoga that are new, uh, ideas about what yoga is supposed to be. Because to me, yoga is deeply and deliciously personal. Mm-hmm. And if we can be beginners, even those of us who have been practicing longer than I have been, um, if we can stay curious, that's an essential element to paying close attention. It means that we're willing to listen to the other side of the conversation. And that happens on our mat. If we don't listen to the other side of the conversation with our hamstring, we're going to end up doing creating injury. And it's the same thing the other side of the conversation with, you know, our, um, our own personalities, what it is that we're telling ourselves, uh, you know, listen to the other side of the conversation so that we can awaken to it, transform it, particularly if that's negative chatter, pradipaksha bhavnam, or as I say in the book, what's in the way is the way. Mm-hmm. So you could, you can look at that as a tight hamstring is the pot of gold is where you're going to, uh, you're going to learn the most, but so is a tight part of your heart so whether it's your hamstrings or your heart looking at something that you have viewed that might show up on what I call your stuck at list so stuck in your hamstring stuck in your heart stuck in your life in a relationship that you don't dig a job that you don't feel happy in but looking at that as the starting point for the pot of gold and starting to transform that into something that actually is uplifting that is the mud, and the unite is where we find the lotus. And it's hard, ongoing work. It means staying curious no matter how uh, hard that might feel some days. And it means um, being there for each other as we trudge through that terrain. I really wanted to ask you about the what's in the way is the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking here. At page 161, and you're talking about 
integrity and this really big, it's a big idea of, um, you know, you're talking about dharma and santosha. You know, dharma is like your past, santosha, contentment. And people are always asking me about mm-hmm. this whole idea of purpose and path. And since the, your whole book really is this beautiful metaphor for yoga on and off of the mat, um, you know, you talk about here, it says here on page 161, but what's in the way is the way. Music alone was neither my purpose nor my dharma, but it was a stepping stone toward discovering both. Skills I acquired translated perfectly into teaching yoga. And this is about how essentially you were originally a singer-songwriter. And when you got to thinking about, you know, your quote-unquote purpose, um, that you kind of, you said you got murky. And yeah. then you had that thought, you know, what's in the way is the way. Can you talk a little bit about that story in your life of going from singer-songwriter to stepping into what you now really know was like, this is your purpose, this was your dharma, this was the, this is your path. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, how you would, you have this beautiful offering, which I'll let you explain, of like these, the, you have these very three specific questions to help people get clear on their purpose. Which I loved, and I, I, I wrote next to this, ask her to share. <laughs> so, cool. well, can you touch on that a little bit of, like, how you would guide someone to, that's such a hard question to say, like, well, what's my purpose? Yeah, it is. Um, well, yeah, I was a singer-songwriter. I've had many lives. I'm like a cat with several lives. <laughs> um, and back in the day when I was a singer-songwriter, I had the opportunity to meet Joni Mitchell a few times. Uh, I tell this story in the book. Um, and you know, she, Joni is amazing. She's a poet, she's a painter, she's a, a songwriter. And I painted the picture, uh, uh, on her birthday card and I presented it to her and she said, it all comes from the same place, you know, do all of it. Uh, and I, that's never left me. Um, mm. again, I didn't mean to be an entrepreneur. I thought when I was a singer-songwriter, if you'd told me I was going to be a yoga teacher, I would have laughed you out of the room. And now, you know, nearly 20 years later, having been a yoga teacher, um, you know, it's just so fascinating. The things that you walk into, you, you know, whether you're aware of it or not, are curious enough, you have your beginner's mind in place enough, that you start discovering. And that's the only way that you're going to distill down what is my purpose? You know, what is it? Uh, and these are the three questions that you're talking about. What do I love to do? That's that's a murkier question than one might think. Like, I thought when I was a singer-songwriter that I loved to be a singer-songwriter. And I did. But a lot of the, the next question is, you know, what do you love to do? Who do you do it for? And for me, who do you do it for got really murky with singer-songwriter stuff because I was really doing it to try to impress people. I really wanted people to love me. I really wanted to get a record deal. Like I was very invested in what do you think of me? And it wasn't really sitting with my soul versus if you ask Joni Mitchell the same question, it's her soul speaking. Uh, And that really, when I got honest with myself and it was not what I wanted to see, it wasn't the answer that I wanted with singer songwriter, but it, it really was about trying to impress other people. And I was just, you know, dancing and dancing and dancing to try to impress people and getting exhausted and falling on my face. 
And then the last part of it is who and what benefits and shifts from what you love to do. Uh, and that I was really unclear of with singer-songwriter stuff. But when I started to teach yoga, for one thing, you're kind of composing in the classroom. Uh-huh. You're guiding people with your voice. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, you're, you need to make sure of, of little technical things like people can hear you and understand you. But there's a cadence and a, and a song to, mm. to the, the arc of a class. But I, and I loved doing it. And I knew instantly who I was doing it for. Um, and it was probably the beginning of me understanding to what extent community is, is that important to me because I loved that it really had nothing to do with me. It was all about other people's experience. It's all about the students in the classroom. It's really not about me. And I'm so much more comfortable with that. It, it sits with my dharma. It gives me purpose. When people come to me and say that they had an experience, that means something to me. And it really doesn't have to do with me. It's their experience that they had. I mean, maybe I was there as a guide a little bit, but it's theirs. Um, and what shifts is everything uh, for them, for everybody who encounters them. Uh, and then, you know, person by person, bit by bit, breath by breath, the situation on the planet shifts a little bit. And if we can all shift a little bit, uh, then that's giant. That's extraordinary. And that's everything, really. I thought that it was such a, I loved that story. I, Thank you. I, I really <laughs> did. I have so many notes next to it because I relate to it so much. And I'm sure other people do too that are thinking right now, like you might be listening to this going, what's in the way is the way. And trying to like digest that. And really, I'm going to ask you to like let that sink into your bones because whoo, what's in the way is the way. Like what Andrea just said about, you know, like even in, whether it's physical in the body, like you can't do a pose or something, you say like your hamstring or something. What's in the way is the way. Put that into your life. What's in the way is the way. You know, there's, I got to tell you, Andrea, there's so many like things I could think of along the way that I thought that I thought were just in the way. I thought they were just a problem and they needed to go. Like they were not what I wanted. They weren't where I was trying to go. You know what I mean? The obstacles are opportunities, (laughs) but we have to frame them that way. Yeah. Obstacles will remain obstacles if we are tightly wound around what a problem they are or um, that they are in the way. Yeah. But if we start to, and this is where the patients that I talked about, you know, um, the patience and the forgiveness comes from is like, um, mis- there are no mistakes. I mean, mistakes are part of that, that pushback and that, that, um, what's in the way is the way, um, you want to make amazing mistakes so that you can learn from them. Uh, and it's another one of the Pradipakshabhavanam, the what's in the way is the way obstacles, mistakes, all these things are our gifts. Sometimes they, there's a bitter taste to them at that time. But as I look back on my life, and it sounds like we have this in common, when I look back on my life, it was those impasses that that really shone, were what shone the biggest light on where I am now um, and, and brought me to where I am. And without them, I'm not sure that I'd have the chops to be doing the things, uh, you know, to find the courage and the, the oomph to, to do what we're doing, right, um, and to, to really 
unpack our purpose. Uh, and that's not just you and me, it's everybody. Uh, and it's, again, why I feel like it's so important that we encourage each other uh, and see each other through this. Mm-hmm. How do you think, you know, on, okay, page 168, you talk about Santosha on your map. Santosha is a profound sense of contentment for what is. Even as we move toward improvement, it's a universal connection to underlying joy despite tough and trying times. Santosha asks us to welcome the realities of life as we accede to our dharmic path and highest purpose. On our mat, Santosha is where the integrity of our mountain and the surrender of our shavasana coexist. Mm. <laughs> ah, um, how, how do we do that? How do we, you know, if people are listening to this thinking, okay, Santosha, contentment for what is, even as we move toward improvement, like tough and trying times, still finding joy, still feeling connected, feeling that something is in the way, but trying to reframe it in your mind. Mm-hmm. How and standing do we in do it, that? I mean, I think I think part of it is um, being willing to stand in it, and that's where Tadasana is. I mean, I, I say it in my classroom constantly that Tadasana is the yoga that you can do anywhere. It might be awkward if you do a shavasana, like in the middle of the supermarket, if you literally lie down and do your shavasana. <laughs> but as you know, in the beginning of the book, um, I actually encourage yes. people to take thirty-second shavasanas, quote, little quote, shavasanas, the day. little shavasanas which is really the seedlings for um, a meditation practice too. But, it, you know, meditation is something that can happen in real time, in real life. Uh, there's a woman named Ellen Langer who believes that that's where meditation only happens. Um, she's pretty interesting to, to read about. Um, and, you know, paying close attention is, to my mind, also that little bits and pieces of shavasana and meditation. Um, really what we want to get to, and this is pretty key to um what's in the way is the way, is instead of everything being a reaction, we want to give ourselves space to create a response. That's how we start to build the purpose. Uh, It's how we start to see obstacles become opportunities. If we just keep reacting, it's that tightly wound around an idea. If we let it be a pause and you find that every time you stand in Tadasana, um, you know, every time you take those 30 second Shabastas and I call them shavasanas because when you lie down, it's, you know, you can feel that the earth has your back. You can feel that you're supported. You can feel that you can let go and still be okay. Um, And we want to find that quality even when we're standing upright, even when we're walking through our life. And so if we can just, um, you know, touch base, if we can, because that's where practice is so essential. Practice those shavasanas, practice paying close attention Practice that in our own direction, but ultimately, you know, the, as the book says several times, we turn inward, ultimately so that we can reach out. Mm. And I think that um, in order to really find our purpose, we can't just keep navel-gazing. We need to use the stuff that we're learning as compassion towards ourselves, patience, um, forgiveness towards ourselves, and be able to turn that outward. We can't turn it outward if we don't have it within but we want ultimately to turn it outward. And, and that's where community comes from, is this like, hey, me too, warts and all, man. I feel you, I see you, uh, and let's do this, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's like do the work so that you can work your light. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's also, um, to me, it's a big giant relief to be able to say, yep, this is me warts and all like it, you know, there's no false impressions. There's no great lighting on it necessarily. Like you're just seeing me in the shadows sometimes. And, um, and it's a relief. It's not like I'm hiding anything that way. And that might be something that's a little bit tricky on, you know, in that social media question you asked me is that um, since we don't all just have, you know, there are shadows, there is the mud to things, um, I would say that that would be pretty hard to maintain this sort of idea of like, this is what I'm always like. <laughs> Look at me, you know. Um, and because uh, we've, all, we've all got the warts and all. And that's the real beauty to me is, you know, the, the imperfections are the beautiful Mm-hmm. the beautiful part right like you said and that's also you, you learn a lot in the shadows and mm-hmm. w- you said the word non-reactive and I think that yoga you know we've talked about this already like yoga definitely helps to teach like like you said not not being reactive like letting yourself have the space to have a, a, a real response and just like you, you know, you say in the book too about how you see people as a teacher, like they're in a child. You know, have you ever like you know someone's in a child's pose and they're sitting there and they're like um they're tapping their fingers on their mat, like sure. they're fidgeting or they're like every time that they're in a warrior too. Okay, I gotta pull my pants up. I gotta adjust my shirt. I gotta fix my strap. And you say like it's like you know pulling you out of the pose. It's like trying to avoid the present moment. Um, reacting instead of just sinking into it. Like, you know, you said, how do we stay, how do we find that santosha and that contentment on the way to dharma? As you said, just stay in it. (laughs) Just stay in it long enough. Yeah, I mean, I would describe most of my meditations, I meditate every morning. Um, There's a warts and all quality there too. Like, you know, I'm not just sitting peacefully that 20 minutes. There's a lot of like, all right, come back to... Mm -hmm. You know, um, either my mantra that I have or, um, you know, the sounds and the breath. Uh, and it is the coming back that is both the meditation and the yoga. You know, all of us have moments of distractedness sure. uh, in, in every pose. Um, but it's the willingness to be forgiving, have a little chuckle about how crazy we are. And we're all crazy as loons. You know, <laughs> and coming back to like, all right, well, since I'm crazy, let me come back to this more simple like, you know, let me put my hand back on the volume and turn the volume yes. down, you know. I love that metaphor. I use that a lot in class. Let's turn that dial down a little bit. Let's turn it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of distractions, I cannot, I cannot not talk about, like, the one part of, the one part of this book, like, I can't not have you talk about it, is the simple practice but yet effective practice that you have for that whole, um, the distractions and that we're such an external world, the stop to start and the ABCs, mm-hmm. which I think are, you know, and we talked about the little shavasanas, that, that this is a part of that. Can you explain, you know, what you mean about the stop to start, your ABCs, these, this really nice way that you, that you begin the book in the awaken portion of the book? It, it's a really great beginner as you start to progress through the book, but you reference back to the stop, the start, and ABCs throughout the entire book. Can you touch on, on what this yummy practice is? Sure. Um, well, I think it's, uh, it's an invitation, whether you're a beginner and brand new to it or you're wildly advanced, but a beginner. And the, the, the beginner's mind is part of that section that you're talking about, too. Um, and, and sometimes that's the trickiest part is 
you know, you've been practicing asana for a really long time, uh, and to be humble enough to be a beginner um, is part of the stop to start. It's the literal, I, I use this a lot in the classroom, like we all come in and clamor in from where we've been, and we sit to stop so that we can start. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's a wider reach than just that. We stop, you know, the spinning thoughts of what we think we know already, or just the spinning thoughts as much as we can, and we get a pause happening that allows us to start anew, to begin again. And we have the chance to begin again and again and again every time we come onto our mat. Um, and, you know, all throughout our life, we can start again, but we, we have to be willing to stop. Uh, and that takes um, what you referred to as the ABCs, or what I call the ABCs, awareness. So the first thing is we have to become aware. Benevolence, which is that kindness and grace, the forgiveness. And with that comes calm. That's sort of the warts and all I was talking about. Is like, all right, I'm crazy as a loon. I'm having a laugh about it, and I'm, that makes me calmer. And I don't have to keep up this pretense. Mm-hmm. So to be able to come to our mat and stop the clutter as much as possible so we can start afresh, become aware, find the benevolence, and allow a shift towards calm, mm. then it's, it's less clamorous. And there's a chance to start with that clean slate, you know, to find... Um, a clean slate to bring an abundance of color to, uh, and and to to create new stuff. I mean, I often say that creating space is creative space. I and love creating that. Space, creating space is the stop to start. Yeah. Um, and it is reaction versus response. Uh, but you know, if we're just in this clamor, it's really hard to become. You know, it's hard to find creative space. I, I, can you say that again? Just that, that <laughs> quote. I just love it. Thank you. Um, creating space is creative space. I love that. Uh, I say that in my classroom a lot too. Mm, I'm going to have to quote you on that. Well, <laughs> go for it. I love I'm that. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's, it's juicy. I just, I feel that. I feel that like. You know, and whether that's sometimes for me, that's yoga. And sometimes for me, that's like dancing. Sometimes it's just like, you know, going and writing in my journal or going outside. Like that's that creative space is creating space. Like, I love that. It's just, it's so like succinctly well said. It just gets right to the point. Well, thank you. And I agree. I think, you know, um, the Joni Mitchell chapter is one about do all of it. Um, and I think that's really important. Like, go do things that you're pretty sure you suck at. You know, go have that experience. Um, I just think it's very important to uh, to go and try new things because then you know what you really have this 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 um, feeling of what it is to be a beginner because you you are you know in every sense of the word and you can bring it can it can help you find that beginner's mentality even in things that you feel pretty seasoned in. Mm-hmm. Right. So to wind this portion down here before we go to rapid fire, I want to yeah. talk to you about the, um, the, on, the on your mat section. 
I thought that it would be really fun if there was some kind of like a if there was a one of the takeaways from the book if we could have a if you could offer up a takeaway of one of the on your mats that they that the listeners could do and try out from your book. I did, for example, basically what this is, guys, is so like she said, this on your mat section, she has these in the book. There are actual pictures of her doing uh, yoga asana. And it's kind of like a little bit of um, a challenge in a sense. It's, um, you know, she has one for warrior two and staying there for two minutes. She has one for a down dog and one for mountain pose and like seeing where the pose takes you. And I, I, um, I did the mountain, the Tadasana one the other day, Andrea. Cool. And I was like, okay, I'm going to totally test this out. <laughs> so I'm standing there, like it's in the morning, and I'm doing the, the Tadasana for five minutes, just breathing. And there were distractions coming in. My dog was kind of like her making noises, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to stay with this. Like you said, stay in it. And um don't you know, after I finished that, I thought I was just going to do like the five-minute Tadasana. But don't you know, Andrea, what it end up, ended up happening was I did that, the timer went off, and I had had music on. I had really light meditation music on in the background. And so I turned off the timer, and what ended up happening was so much more than five minutes. What ended up happening was this whole like 20, 25-minute moving my body intuitively, just like soul movement, wiggling around, moving, part yoga, part dancing, just lovely, juicy movement of my body. And that's, you know, so that, your idea of just do five minutes of this ended up being like 25 minutes of a really beautiful morning for me. So thank you for that. And it just goes to show that, you know, five minutes... You think that you have no time, right? Yeah. And then it ended up being like, oh, this just felt really good and I feel really centered. Like, I'm just going to keep moving because this feels right. So that's an example of like one of these on your mats that she does, guys. I'm referring to the Tadasana one. So there's several. Is there one, Andrea, that you would love for the listeners to try? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, first of all, if you go to closetoom.com, um, there's a community there, which uh, you know certainly addresses also part of what we've talked about in terms of community. So there, there's an online community there, mm-hmm. and there are um, audio instructions called at ohm, at sign ohm, and those you have access to even if you don't have the book. So if you kind of want to like a little taste of things, that's a good place to wander over and check out. Perfect. Um, and you can actually do the Tadasana with the audio guide there that you did. Um, I would recommend that people take a peek at the possibility pose Mm -hmm. because I think that, you know, you were talking about how what's in the way is the way means so much to you. And possibility pose is the on your mat um, in many ways of how it is that you turn a negative into a positive, a pose that you think you can't do or that is um, a challenge for you. It's, It's something that you do every day as part of your practice for a month. So you can go um, to closetoom.com. Of course, you can uh, get the book on Amazon at Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's, it's many, many places. And I really think that the book works best um, as you said, you know, um, as a bit of a, like you read through it. A lot of people say, oh, I was in bed and I just read it sort of as a memoir. And then I went back to the sections that I really wanted to make sure I went back to. Um, or I went back and I started to go through it as a system Um, after reading it as a memoir. 
Um, and I have an audio book also, so mm -hmm. um, if you like the sound of my voice, I'm reading it. Um, that was a really interesting thing to record one's own audio book. Um, <laughs> huge, a huge. Um, I, I really admire the people that do that for a living because it's tough. Um, but uh, I think that if you let the book as a whole wash over you, and then go back and do it as the system that it is, and spend time with at home um, and with the the visual in the book. That that's how it, that it's both memoir and resource, right? Um, and I think that the possibility pose is a really nice way in. It's actually a little deeper into the book uh, than like Tadasana and the Shavasanas are. But that idea of like letting a pose be ripe with possibility, just like so many other parts of your life become ripe with the you know the creative element, the creative space. And you found it through Tadasana. You just you started creating this. 25 minute long inspiration and that's amazing so you know i think there's lots and lots of opportunities in the um on your mat that then will um will drift into uh, on your own will drift into your life you know they seep in perfect so the possibility pose guys and i will put the link yeah. for the for the close to ohm.com and reference the at ohm in the show notes guys so that'll be at the journal deck.com forward slash episode 50 Oh my gosh, you're episode number 50. <laughs> How about that? It feels very auspicious. Oh, that's a good, wow, that's like a marker, 50. Oh, wow, that means I've done this for like 50 plus weeks. Oh my. Um, <laughs> whew, that's a lot. <laughs> that's an accomplishment. That's yeah. great. High five. Thank you. <laughs> All right, possibility pose, guys. I'll put that in the show notes too. Um, basically do, um, one pose every day for one month that you, that you struggle with that you, it's like the what's in the way is the way. And I'll put all of that in her, in her show notes link. Okay. An obstacle be an opportunity. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So you ready to do some rapid fire questions? I think so. I'm like nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that you're fine. Performance anxiety. All right. Have right. at it. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> yeah. If you had to describe self-care in one word or feeling, it would be? Patience. There we go. Coming full circle. Yep. In terms of self-care, I could be better at? Lord. Um, better at? I don't know. I'm stumped. This is supposed to happen fast. Uh, <laughs> probably forgiveness. Another full cir circle, but that is my ongoing forgiveness. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is definitely self-care. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's not even so much for you, for them. It's for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, no. Self-inflicted forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite form of self-care movement or exercise is... Yoga asana. Well, yes, a given. <laughs> this one always trips people up. Let's see what happens. Okay. If I never had to do this again, it would be? Um, walk through such self-loathing. Ooh, deep one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of people. All right, what was the last book that you read or that you are currently reading? Being Mortal. Being uh, I'm reading it now. Uh-huh. 
a tool guande. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a rough read in terms of like the content. It's about, you know, um, that we're all mortal, but he's a, he's extraordinary. He's an amazing author. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes too. I always put yeah. books in the show notes because everyone always references them. I'm like, I love to read. Yeah, good. All right. Milk chocolate, dark chocolate, or not a chocolate person? Oh, dark chocolate all the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not, I mean, so a chocolate person. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Cookout. That, that, that might even take the, the what my favorite self-care movement is, is moving eating? towards the dark chocolate. Just eating said dark chocolate. <laughs> yes. Okay, cookout or go out? Cookout, I think. My husband's an amazing um, chef that way, and we go to my brother's house and cook out, and I, I think I think that's the, yeah. What about, do you have a favorite getaway place? Uh, wherever I'm going next. Oh, I love that. What, well, you were just in Dubai, right? I was in Abu Dhabi, Abu yeah, Dhabi. which is in the United Arab Emirates. Um, I'm actually going to Slovenia in August Ooh. on retreat. And I went there last year between uh, festivals when I was in Europe. I went by myself because I watched the episode of Chef's Table, and it was so compelling. I was like, where is this place, Slovenia? Yeah. And it's the former Yugoslavia. It's very interesting because you can still sort of notice the old school, um, you know, communist past, but it's beautiful. Uh, it's on everybody's hot new list, but it hasn't quite become overcrowded like Croatia. And it's like simultaneously being in Italy, looking at the Swiss Alps, and the Socha Valley and Socha River are the color of blue like I've never seen before. And then this six-course meal that you have at Hisa Franco, which is the restaurant that's in Chef's Table, which will be part of my retreat that I'm leading uh, there in August. Uh, that might be my favorite place to be. There's a Zen quality there that's different that you, than you get when you're at a beach, which is also lovely. Um, but it's, it's really one of the more extraordinary places. I still have a few spaces on my retreat, so it's over Labor Day weekend um, this year. I, I also go to Mexico every year, and I'm doing that at the end of November. So if you go to andreamarkham.com, you can, you can see my retreats and where I'm going. But Slovenia, I'm telling you, it's the bomb. True story. Um, I very much know what Slovenia is. I've not been there, but my grandmother is 100% Slovenian. Well, you should come with me. <laughs> yeah, my grandma, she's 100% Slovenian, so It's an interesting yeah. history, isn't it? It's they've been through a lot. She's a it's it's a it is a beautiful. I mean, I I've not been there, but it's it looks stunning, stunning, mm-hmm. stunning. Yeah, I I would love to be able to. I'm pretty much everything that's like Eastern European. I'm mostly mm-hmm. Slovak, um, but then I have the Slovenian as well. And so I would love to go to like the Czech Republic and Slovenia and really get the opportunity to see all of that. I, I would love to do that. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend that you do it soon so that you still have some of that history mm-hmm. uh, to, to sink your teeth into because it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay. Last one. Yes. I love astrology. What's your sign? Virgo. Ah. There you go. Type A. Ah. In order. I want it all organized. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> that makes so much sense because you were saying in the book like you're an overachiever and you want it to be perfect and mm-hmm. uh, unlearning those patterns in some sense. and like, oh, yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense for a go. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is uh, uh, 
point here where we've already mentioned some of them, but can you please tell listeners where they can find you one more time? Sure. AndreaMarkham.com is sort of the hub of all things. Uh, CloseToOhm.com is what will take you into the uh, community uh, and give you access to the at Ohm content. Um, you can find Close to Ohm, my book, at Amazon. If you join Audible, you can choose Close to Ohm as your free book. So you could get the audiobook for free by joining audible.com. Uh, and you can also find out about my retreats and where I'm going to be. I'm going to be doing a bunch of pop-up classes, including on the East Coast. Uh, and I'll keep you posted on this so that you can let people know. But uh, I will be in Boston on June 24th. Um, and in Baltimore, I think on June 29th at YogaWorks um, locations. I teach for YogaWorks here, so we're going to do pop-up classes. And the rest of the East Coast is getting filled in. So if you go to andreamarkham.com, you'll find that. And it will be a pop-up class and book signing. So you can have me sign your book, which I would love to do. Um, and uh, if you have any other ideas, also places I should go on the East Coast, you should let me know. You can come to Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, I, I, let's talk when we, when we get off this. Yeah, at Pittsburgh, um, there's a studio I teach at downtown. I will, I have to, I'll have to ask the owner, Jana, about okay. what she thinks about that. Okay. Well, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll discuss. Yes, absolutely. And also, you're at, um, on Instagram, you're at Andrea guess, Markham? Correct. Instagram, at Andrea Markham, um, Andrea Markham Yoga on Facebook. I have online classes on Udaya.com and on Gaia, uh, as well as on My Yoga Works. You're everywhere. I'm just everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Such is life these days. I know, right? Well, thank you so much for doing this, Andrea. This was great. You're great. Thank you. This was such a joy. I just love the intelligence of your show and what you're... um, doing and what you're letting everyone learn and um uh, this you have definitely found your purpose in dharma here oh that means a ridiculous amount like thank you so much for that i appreciate it i mean it all right guys that is a wrap Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Self-Care Spotlight brought to you by the Journal Deck and our Self-Care Collective online membership. And if this podcast moved you in some way, I kindly ask you to rate and review it on iTunes to help spread our mission to other lightworkers like you. Your love and attention means the world to me. Until next time, I'm Melissa Cousins signing off for the Journal Deck. Music by Lee Rosevere.